Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, I want to start off today by saying I'm really excited about the conversation that I had with Annette Schenker Osorio. She is the host of a brilliant podcast talking about the power of words, talking about the power of messaging. And if you have listened to my other podcast, Democracy-ish, then you may be familiar with Anant. But Anant Shankar Osadio is the host of Words to Win By, and she'll tell us in this jam-packed two-part episode, because folks, you know that I talk about messaging all the time. I talk about how Democrats are fucking terrible at messaging. We are headed into the stretch for the midterm elections. And with a handful of weeks to go, my conversation with Anad is like, do we have what it takes to win? Do people understand the gravity of the situation that we're in? What works? We know that fear and lies work with the far right, but what works to get Democrats, progressives, and these quote unquote mythical unicorn independents to the polls? right? For midterms. She tells us that we will need historic turnout the way that we had for Biden. Well, we know that that ain't going to happen. Just historically speaking, midterm elections usually do not have the same type of turnout that a presidential election does. And so if we're hoping for those numbers in order to win, then have we already lost? So this conversation with Anat, we went really deep and into the nitty gritty. So it is broken up into our first two-part episode. So you will hear a piece of our conversation today, and then you will hear the follow-up to that conversation on Tuesday. Folks, what I want people to recognize is that 
The political climate that we're in and how people are feeling has so much to do with policy as it has to do with personality and what it has to do with psychology. You know, I often talk to you all about the fact that there are times, there are days where I find myself in tears. Nothing any more catastrophic will have happened that will signal this shift in emotion, but it is just this ever-present feeling of overwhelm. I mention this because, like me, you all have no doubt spent the last several days watching the news and seeing the catastrophic devastation that has happened in Florida because of Hurricane Ian. Well, I want to share with you one of the stories that I don't think gets enough attention. You see, what the networks do, dear friends, is that they will go and do the same storm coverage, look at the devastation. They'll talk to somebody, usually a white person, not usually 90% of the time, a white person that has lost everything. And, you know, they're thanking God and we could have been worse. And meanwhile, you know, they've lost their homes. They've lost, you know, their livelihoods. Look, I'll be honest that a lot of the places in Florida are, you know, you're showing us Coral Gables. Well, those are multi-million dollar homes and those are not people's first homes, right? In a lot of ways. But there are a lot of folks in Florida who live in mobile homes, who are the actual working class and, you know, can't just chalk up their loss to, you know, somebody's tax write-off, right? But I then look at the coverage. And again, we only empathize and are trained to empathize with white people and white grief. And I think to myself about the people of Puerto Rico, the island being devastated by a hurricane as well. Loss of power, you know, infrastructure. Again, we look at Puerto Rico and we're like, oh, well, that's a nice island. You know, it's part of the United States. And why they don't have fucking infrastructure that allows them to be able to deal with the impacts and the increasing impacts of these hurricanes and are treated as, you know, second-class citizens in more ways than one, why weren't they given wall-to-wall coverage? Why didn't we look at their suffering and their grief in the same way that we once again are treating Florida, will treat South Carolina and other places? I just don't understand why we can't have shared empathy for everyone and why white people are the only people that the media wants to empathize with. Look, and guys, I'm asking this question. I know the answer. I know who's in the newsrooms. I know who's in the C-suites, right? I know the answer to these questions. But if we don't ask them, then we allow this just to continue to be normalized. And it shouldn't be. Why did we have wall-to-wall coverage of the colonizer that died in the UK at the same time when brown people in Puerto Rico are desperate and like hanging on for dear life. Why was it okay that Donald Trump went there during Hurricane Maria and threw out fucking paper towels and that was acceptable and the media covered it as if it was a joke as opposed to it being fucking cruel? Words matter. 
And that's why we have this supersized two-part episode with Anatchenko Osario, because I want us to understand that it isn't about just getting into the psychology again, like the media loves to do with regard to white supremacy. And we need to understand white grievance. No, I actually don't give a fuck, but I do want to understand why these same people, what gets them to the polls and what doesn't, what has them wake up to the fact that climate change is a real thing, right? Is it when the water is up to their necks? You know, I don't know, but what I will say, and what I want to share with regard to the hurricanes is this pulled up this article in Axios says Hurricane Ian's climate warning. And this is what it says. And I, I want to read to you a piece of this because, again, the news is not covering this. What they are covering is the damage. What they are covering is how people are going to pick up their lives and then they will move on to the next story by the middle of this week. But What we're not talking about is why these storms are intensifying and how this storm jumped from, you know, a category three to a category five. What we have all learned, right, in school, in earth science, who the fuck knows what they teach now, is that when hurricanes hit land or they hit certain areas, they lose strength. We're accustomed to hurricanes hitting certain areas, losing strength and turning into tropical storms and then dissipating. This is not what's happening. And I will read you this. Hurricane forecasters worst nightmare came true on Wednesday morning when what had been a category three storm Tuesday night suddenly jumped to almost to a category five. Why it matters. It used to be rare for storms to keep strengthening until landfall let alone do so rapidly. Now it is not. And studies show this is a dangerous sign of climate change. The big picture. Such an intensity leap was made possible by warm ocean temperatures and abundant atmospheric moisture, both factors that climate change enhances. During the past several years, There have been multiple storms that rapidly intensified as they neared the Gulf Coast and did so through landfall. Previously, tropical storms and hurricanes tended to weaken as they neared the northern Gulf Coast in particular, falling victim to cooler waters or stronger jet stream winds. But that did not happen with Hurricanes Laura or Ida in 2020 and in 2021 or with Hurricane Michael, which ramped up all the way up to a Category 5 storm in the Florida Panhandle in 2018. It's not just the United States that has been suffering the consequences from rapidly intensifying tropical cyclones. Consider an example from halfway around the world, which occurred just as Ian was spinning up in the Caribbean. At the same time, in the western tropical Pacific Ocean, a storm named Noru began swirling toward the Philippines. It took forecasters by surprise when it suddenly strengthened from a robust tropical storm with maximum sustained winds of 60 miles per hour to a Category 5 super typhoon with 160 mile per hour winds, folks, in just 24 hours. So if you were thinking about this, right, 
and news reports and alerts come on and they are warning people going to be having a tropical storm. It right now has these level winds. This is the difference between you deciding to evacuate and deciding that you can weather the storm. But if what is happening is the intensity is growing and forecasters, because of climate change, do not have the ability to provide the necessary in-depth level of warning because the storm is changing so rapidly, what does that mean for people's ability to get to safety? Newsflash, they can't get to safety in fucking time. So more people are going to die. So the threat level, according to Axios, the danger of a rapid intensification shortly before landfall is that people will be caught off guard by the stronger storm and get stuck in a vulnerable spot for storm surge flooding, damaging winds, or both. Emergency management officials design their evacuation plans based on storm intensity and movement. Sudden shifts in either one can render their planning inadequate. A 155 mile per hour category four storm, which Hurricane Ian became on Wednesday morning, can push a far higher surge inland and bring a catastrophic swath of high winds inland compared to the 120 mile per hour category three storm that Ian was when most Floridians went to sleep Tuesday night. All landfalling storms now contain more dangerous coastal flooding in their arsenals due to human caused sea level rise. And they are urging you in this article to read between the fucking lines. The trend seen in the past several years, together with studies of how hurricanes are changing in a warming world, point to a key role for human-caused climate change. We have made the planet unpredictable and unfucking safe. And right now, you have a climate denier, authoritarian piece of trash in Ron DeSantis as the governor of Florida, who is too busy walking the line between Republican dictator to recognize that their ignorance around climate change is no longer bliss. It is actually fucking catastrophic. And it is up to the media to connect the dots for the people as to why these things are happening. This is not an act of God. It is an act of greed. Folks, coming up next, part one of my conversation with Anat Schenker Asorio on how we win the messaging game. It's no secret that the news is horse pill hard to swallow. Thankfully, there's the Bituation Room podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Francesca Friorentini for a lighter take on the heavy stuff. Each week, the Bituation Room brings you progressive comedians, experts, and activists to break down the issues in a way that won't just leave you crying under a weighted blanket. Get the Bituation Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slice Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. 
Each week on the GabFest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political GabFest. New episodes every Thursday. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the first time, hopefully not the last time, um, fellow podcaster uh, and message maker, uh, Anat Schenker Osario, uh, who hosts the show uh, Words to Win By. And folks, if you also happen to listen to my other podcast with my friend uh, Wajahat Ali, you might uh, remember our conversation with Anat because I said, can you just run everything because you make it seem so easy and you make it sound so clear what it is Democrats should be doing. Um, but, but first, before we talk about what they should be doing, I actually want to get your thoughts of Joe Biden's winning summer, the Biden administration's quote unquote winning summer. And, you know, we had passage of you know, major legislation, uh, Joe Biden, uh, you know, there were several things that were passed. Some, you know, have no teeth, but Hey, we, you know, we did it anyway. We got, uh, some debt relief for students, but I don't know if they'll actually see that because Republican governors are fighting uh, against that and are suing the Biden administration to make sure that young people suffer. Um, and then you had Joe Biden kind of cap off his winning streak with this soul of the nation speech uh, that he gave with the with the backdrop of of Philadelphia. And so I want to get your thoughts on how Democrats, how the administration spoke about these wins. And then we can talk more in depth about your thoughts on the soul of the nation speech, which, again, I don't think was given enough air enough time in in media and is worth delving into. Yeah, for sure. Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, It's hard to know where even to begin, but I'll start with the accomplishments. So what I will say is that it is general life advice, both in relationships and in politics, that you cannot argue with people's feelings, which is very frustrating if you are a person who watches focus groups, which unfortunately for me, I am. So I'm part of a giant research collaborative where we do two to four focus groups a week and have done that every single week since 2020, which means watching a whole lot of different kinds of person, people, surge voters, meaning folks who were new to us in 18 or 20, and we obvious, we absolutely need returning out, and then swing voters, uh, the definition of which is probably pretty clear to most people what we mean by that. So what we see is that the, the quote, Democrats delivered message, unquote, That doesn't take us very far. Mm. And it doesn't actually matter what is true in the world. What matters to people is their own lived experience. And for the most part, speaking in broad strokes, people are feeling down and out. They are feeling despondent. They are feeling strapped. Uh, They're very, very concerned financially. They have more month than check. I'm thinking of all the idiosyncratic ways people describe this to us, depending who they are and what focus group it is. And so when you try to sort of argue with people, 
and say, the economy is better than ever and things are going great. You know, their response back is sort of, what planet have you emerged from and why are you talking to me? However, what I will say, and this is really, really important, is that when we talk to our voters, both surge and swing, about the litany of accomplishments, we pass this, we pass that, we pass this, and really vitally, the fact that we held together and that Trump Republicans, and I use that phrase very deliberately, Trump Republicans, MAGA Republicans, I'm happy to say why, stood in your way. Mm-hmm. At every turn, they wanted to block what our families need, and Democrats brought it anyway. When we talk to our voters about the passage of the bills in the aggregate, what that does more than any one bill is it gets at this sort of root idea that voters have that Democrats are do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so interestingly, it's more the act of, you know, there's a canard, right? Nothing succeeds like success. And so this idea that we can do things, we do do things, we do pass things, we keep moving the ball down the field, that is as important a part of the narrative to convey as any one of these specific policies. So I, I want to dig into one of the things that you just said. I, I want to ask about how MAGA Republicans, Trump Republicans are playing, right? That, that, um, that phrasing. Um, because for me, I will say that making that distinction just seems false because I don't know what other group of Republicans there are, but Trump or MAGA Republicans. I don't know what other group of Republicans there are other than the ones that are cheering the rise of fascism in Italy and, you know, and, 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 and wanting to shake hands with authoritarians and dictators like Viktor Orban, who's welcomed into CPAC and Putin, right? So I, I want to ask the question about the distinction and how that is playing uh, in, in these groups. And also, my God, I'm sorry <laughs> that you listen to people all, all week long, all of these different groups. I'm like, I hope you meditate. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the, the other question is too, does it play better to talk about how Republicans are blocking your ability, blocking Americans ability to make their checks go longer than the month to in fact, you know, um, be able to keep their head literally, uh, above water. Does it help to have that narrative? Or is it we need that narrative about Democrats doing and the the narrative about why more can't get done? Yeah. So let me try to answer. I'll answer the second one first. So the overarching narrative that we have found working, and this is on the basis not just of that aggregated qualitative research, the focus groups I referenced, but this is part of a giant ad and message testing project in which I've been engaged, where at this point we've tested over 200 digital ads in randomized controlled trials over the summer to arrive at an overarching storyline. And that overarching storyline, I can encapsulate in three words, it is protect our freedoms, freedoms intentionally plural. And so what that does is we talk about Democrats as being here to protect our freedoms 
and Trump Republicans or MAGA Republicans, and I will explain why, mm-hmm. as taking away our freedoms from the freedom to decide whether and when we have kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to our freedom from gun violence, to our freedom to earn enough and be able to provide for our, fa- for our families. Republicans want to take away, Trump Republicans want to take away our freedoms by joining together like we did in 2020, we can protect our freedoms. So basically the polarity is actually, number one, the topic is freedoms, plural, because when we use it in that plural form, it uh, unconsciously activates in people a more progressive understanding of freedom, whereas the singular tips more into kind of your classic right-wing guns, right? freedom of religion, which of course just means being able to shove a certain kind of patriarchal, evangelical, Mm -hmm. white Christianity at you. Um, So freedoms is a really, really powerful and effective kind of overarching concept. And then what we're doing is we're saying that they are taking away your freedoms because that activates something that we know in psychology called loss aversion. People are much more motivated to act on behalf of retaining something they perceive to have now versus acting on behalf of a predicted future gain. So all of that language, taking away freedoms, et cetera, it's all super deliberate. Now, Trump Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Mm -hmm. What you say is, of course, absolutely correct. But when we're thinking about the way that we label our opposition, we want to evaluate any message, any label, anything we're saying along a set of criteria. So the criteria are it feels credible to the voter. It feels true and accurate. Mm -hmm. It feels mobilizing to our base. It makes them want to take more action at a minimum voting and, you know, gold star, uh, volunteering, calling, participating, et cetera, all the things, all the things. And it is persuasive to the broadest number of voters that we can actually get, recognizing that there are people we cannot and will not ever have on our side. And so what happens is if we say Republicans, period, Mm -hmm. Republicans want to take away your freedoms or Republicans are blocking X, Y, Z, or Republicans are this or that, for our base, and this includes, I want to be very, very clear and explicit, Black voters, Latino voters, et cetera, which are the predominant part of our base, what they hear in that is, ugh. That's just politics as usual. That's where Team Blue shit talks Team Red. Team Red does the opposite. There's a reason I don't want to listen to any of that, and I'm not interested in it. Because we have to remember that our task with our disaffected base, meaning not activists, so not Mm -hmm. you, Danielle. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) But people who, if they would participate, if they would vote, would vote for us. It's just that they... Uh, don't vote all the time. Mm -hmm. And so they are particularly repulsed by what they perceive to be politics as usual, bickering, the sort of animosity of it. And right now, especially in our battlegrounds, I just got told today by one of our media consultants that voters in Las Vegas, because Nevada, of course, is a battleground state, are seeing 11 political ads an hour on average. 
So wow. voters in these battleground states, basically what our canvassers on the doors are telling us is people are like, I don't want to hear yep. negative shit. Mm-hmm. I do not, like, do not with that. I cannot with that. So what, what calling out all Republicans does is it makes people think that we're doing it for the same reason that Domino's says crappy things about Pizza Hut. Like, that's just your job. Got it. Okay. So when we say Trump Republicans or MAGA Republicans, it increases the credibility, it increases the heat, and people don't feel like that's name-calling from us. They feel like, well, that's an accurate label. That's something that they would say about themselves. With swing voters, what it does is it opens up what we call the permission architecture for people who have formerly voted Republican, self-identify even as Republican, who voted for Joe Biden in 2020, to be able to say, I'm still a Republican because my grandpa was or because, you know, some sort of whatever. I mean, obviously to me, total bullshit feeling about Ronald Reagan, but it's there. And I can still come with you and be in your coalition because you don't mean me. It gives people an mm. out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing that troubles me. It's the fact that we still, and maybe because you know more than I, which is why I invited you on, who is this swing voter or not? Who is this mythical unicorn that still exists in the center that hasn't been pushed to one side by the insurrection, hasn't been pushed to one side by the fact that one of the political parties, you know, loves their white supremacist, oath keeper, three percenter, proud boy base and doesn't say anything negatively against them. Like, who are those people? Yeah. So first, I just want to say. There aren't a lot of them. They are <laughs> like they can't no, be. There are very, 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 very few. But. I want to remind folks that politics is a game of millimeters, not even inches. Mm. We won Wisconsin by 0.7% in 2020, and we lost it by about 1% in 2016. So basically, Mm. we can't afford to, To to lose anyone. We need all of the people who voted for Joe Biden to come back out. And the thing about midterms, and I promise I haven't forgotten your question, (laughs) is that we need to remember there is a historical pattern at play here. And that pattern, with the exception of the election after 9-11, is that the incumbent party takes a shellacking because, quite Mm -hmm. simply, the out-of-power party, their base voters are much more energized than our base. And yes, we are doing everything in our power. And I'm, I'm a, there's no, that this false dichotomy between are we doing turnout? Are we doing persuasion? That that is a bunch of nonsense. And by the way, just a dog whistle about, do we give a shit about black voters and are we going to talk to them? Or will we put all our eggs in the white people basket? That's all that little conversation means, unpacking the, the, what the words mean. We have to get everybody back out. Mm -hmm. 
And we have to recognize that in states like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin, like Arizona, like Georgia, like Texas, if we have a prayer there, it means we can't afford to lose any. So now your question. There are not a lot of swing voters, but they live in super key places. And who are they? They are people who either historically have identified as Republican because a lot of voting behavior, and in fact, the the greatest predictor of adult voting behavior is uh, parental voting behavior. So it's Mm, not mm -hmm. unlike you know, why you have XYZ brand of yogurt in your fridge. It's likely because that's what your parents had. Right. So people's decision-making about these things actually is imprinted upon us at a really, really, really young age. That doesn't mean nobody changes. That doesn't mean persuasion is impossible. All of those things are also true. I'm speaking in the aggregate. So those swing voters have, some of them have some sort of affiliation or identity as Republicans, but are turned off by and find Trump Republicanism, MAGAism to be repugnant. And so now they're in this totally conflicted place. And that place of conflict is, this is my identity. This is sort of what my parents told me was good and right. This is what my church says. This is what my community believes. But I disagree with those terrible things happening. And so the evaluation that they're making in this midterm is, is there such a thing as voting for a Republican that is not a vote for MAGA, that is not a vote for Trump? And so we're making the case to them that you just made, Danielle. No, there's no daylight right. between the, the person running for the person running, even if it's Brian Kemp, who, you know, wants kudos and plaudits for like nominally, you know, for not being willing to like completely and totally destroy the law and finding votes that didn't exist, like congratulations. The bar is so low, you've hit your head on it. I wish you would pass out, but that doesn't seem to happen. Come on. So <laughs> those swing voters are either folks who are sort of reckoning with their own sense of identity. And we're trying to both make that case that the congressional Republican or the the person running for school board, because remember, local races matter too. Mm -hmm. Um, They matter a lot. And so the person running for school board, obviously the person running for secretary of state, unbelievably important, the people who actually oversee our elections, the person running for county commissioner. We want you to understand that like they're all beyond the pale. So that's one thing that we're trying to do with that voter. And then the other thing that we're trying to do with that voter is recognize that people make midterm decisions on the basis of enthusiasm and on the basis historically of how they feel about their pocketbooks. And right now, despite the fact that inflation is obviously a global phenomenon, and is occurring and existing across the world in super right-wing run states, government uh, countries, in left-wing run states. Like, you know, Joe Biden is not in charge of the global economy, newsflash. So people don't understand that. And all they know is that they're having struggles. And so they're thinking, I'm having struggles. I voted this way last time. Or Team Blue is in power and I'm not feeling great about my life. I'm going to go for Team Red. Got it. 
And so our fundamental task Mm -hmm. is to change the terms of the election itself away from being a referendum on the party in power, which is normally what a midterm election is, to being an actual choice election, a choice Mm. between Trump Republicans who want to take away your freedoms, including your freedom to retire in dignity by stealing your Social Security and Medicare from you, your freedom to decide for yourself who governs in your name by taking away your freedom to vote, your freedom to know that when your kids go off to school in the morning, you're going to see them home at the end of the day because some maniac is not going to have massacred them because you're handing out military-grade weapons like candy bars. So they need to understand this as a choice election and not a referendum on the incumbent party. That's it for part one of my conversation with the fabulous and brilliantly verbose Anat Schenker Osorio. We will be back tomorrow with part two of words that we actually need to win by with our friend Anat. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF as always. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated.